Henrietta Dax is the proprietor of Clark's Bookshop mm. in Cape Town, South Africa. Welcome to the Bibliophile. I'd like to start with, well, it's, it's a swashbuckling portrayal of you in the New York Times about ten years ago as a fearless book seeker who took her pickup truck and uh, went out to Mozambique and all sorts of exotic locales looking for books and successfully finding them and also finding uh, purchasers for those books. I assume that that was one of the thrills of your career, doing this? Yeah, I mean, the New York Times uh, article is slightly exaggerated, but um, yeah, it's been great fun. Um, I drive to Mozambique once a year. Many things have changed since the New York Times article. When I started going to Mozambique, it was just at the end of the war, and the roads were bad, and there were police blocks everywhere, so there was that element of adventure, but now it's all quite ordinary. I mean, there's a terrific road straight into Maputo, and the book trade in Mozambique, I mean, has grown enormously and is, is better organized. But still, I find fantastic books, and it is very exciting to hear that, yeah. But it's not quite as adventurous as it was ten years ago. The books that you've found there, why are they so impressive? Well, they're very well produced and very interesting books. I mean, people always say, oh, are there books in Mozambique? And they look amazed, as if uh, an African country shouldn't have books. But in fact, there are more books published in, say, Nigeria than they're published in America. So th there's a booming publishing trade in Africa. And Mozambique is one of the, the countries that produces really, really nice books. They've got uh, interesting writers. They have a wide range of books, art, photography, poetry, plays, fiction, history, I mean, you name it, they have it. Why do they have it? Why not? Well, why Mozambique versus Kenya or uh, well, well, South Africa? Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, all African countries have book trades. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not mm. suggesting that it's a surprise that they might. I'm just asking about Mozambique in particular and why would their trade be so superior, say, to some of the others? Not necessarily superior, but I mean, people express amazement that there's a book trade at all in Africa. They can't okay. imagine that there's, there's a book trade in Africa, but there is a book trade in Africa. Every African country has a strong book trade. Right. And Mozambique in particular has a very nice book trade because the breadth of the subjects they write on and also the production of the books, it's a very good production. And why is it a good production? Is it well, uh, nice paper, well printed, nicely designed covers? I mean, is there some particular talent that was there early on, or someone that was a, a sort of a founding father well, or mother they of just the? Produce books, nice books. They like nice right. books, and they just produce nice books. It's just in that the same article, the New York Times article, you mentioned that Yale University had, had basically said to you, anything that you can get from Mozambique, we'll buy. If you're studying Africa, if you're studying Portuguese Africa, you've got to have books from Mozambique. So any American university who has a course, anything to do with uh, there's Angola, there's Mozambique, there's, there are lots of countries that speak uh, Portuguese in Africa. So. Mm -hmm. If you are an American university that has an African studies 
course, then you're going to need books in Mozambique. The one thing that Mozambique doesn't have, like a lot of African countries, they don't have any kind of export scheme. I mean, I think they do probably with uh, Portugal and with Brazil mm -hmm. to a certain extent. And in fact, they're Portuguese now, they're Portuguese publishers and bookshops that have um, branches in Maputo and Luanda. There's no real, I mean, beyond me going in there and buying 15, 20 copies of a book, there, there's no international mm. need for these books unless you speak Portuguese. Or unless so, you study it, if you say. Yeah, mm. so I sell the books to universities who have African studies departments and particularly Portuguese African departments. Okay. Was there some sort of printing ethos or skill that the Portuguese brought to Mozambique? Yeah. Was there one printer who was outstanding who happened perhaps, to settle perhaps, there? but not that I know of. Mia Kutu, who's a very well-known Mozambican poet and novelist, he owns Injera, uh, a publishing house, and he publishes beautiful books, so maybe the fact that he's a writer himself makes his books look particularly nice. But I'd, I'm afraid I don't know the history of Portuguese printing, but in Mozambique is, a, is an extraordinary country. It has a very long coastline, and there are lots of little settlements along the Indian Ocean, so they have influences from uh, Portugal, from India, from the, the Arab countries. So it, it's been a cosmopolitan country. Mm -hmm. I mean, it wasn't a country, but a cosmopolitan area for many, many centuries. So it isn't as if it's a country that's been cut off until the Europeans arrived. And yeah. it was very much a, a cosmopolitan country before the arrival of Portugal. So your genius has been to serve as the exporting... I don't uh, think it's genius. It might be sort of business acumen. Well, yeah, uh, business genius then. I mean, it, it combines two things that I like. I mean, I like books and I like traveling. And I like book trade and... and I suppose it's an old-fashioned book trade. It's going into Mozambique. I mean, when I first went there, everybody was amazed that somebody from South Africa was coming in to buy books. And I remember I went there, I sort of looked at a map one day, and I thought, oh, my God, it's Maputo is just a half an hour by plane away from Johannesburg. So I went there with a couple of thousand dollars in my pocket, thinking, hmm, I'll see what I can find. And I quickly spent all the money I found so much. So what specifically were you looking for and what did you find? Books. I mean, I yes, but you, bought, you bought one book versus another book for a reason. No, no, no. I buy everything. Everything. Straight across the board. I mean, I'm not the person who does the sorting in a way. I'm just buying everything, bringing in other people to the sorting. But you have an eye for something that you think will sell and something that won't sell. No, because these books aren't going into a bookshop. They're going into academic libraries. So, you know, it, you don't have good books and bad books. You have interesting books. So um, I'm so not putting a book out on the shelf and waiting for the public to come in and say, shall I buy this or shall I buy that? You're putting yourself in the mind, for example, of a someone who teaches African studies in the in a yes, university. Yes, but I can't outguess them, so I just buy everything. Okay. Anyway, so I went to one of the bookshops and I said, you know, these are fantastic books but I don't have enough money and they said, oh well don't worry, take the books and then just let us know when you're coming next time or we can ask you to bring books. So for a while I was bringing books into Maputo so it was a 
than the most basic sort of trade. Bartering and... Uh, that stopped, I mean, after a couple of years, because the communications became much easier between uh, South Africa and, and uh, Mozambique. But I was amused that I've never done that before. Which is, which is what I've just done here. I'm bringing three books in for you to have a look at. You bought the, and I'm speaking with Henrietta Dax, who is the proprietor of Clark's Bookshop in Cape Town. You purchased the shop 18, 19 years ago? No, the shop was started in the mid-50s by Anthony Clark and needed a partner in the early 80s. So he got two partners and I was one of them. And he, he was old in retirement, and in fact he, he died. So that was in 1981. And then in 1998, the partner that I had left to start another business. So I've been alone uh, for 11 years. And prior to that, were you selling, in the book, selling business in Paris? Uh, I worked for the American College in Paris for a few years in the, their bookshop, yeah. So um, what, what is it that uh, has allowed you to enjoy the success that you've achieved? Because you're somewhat of a legend in southern Africa as a bookseller. Well, I suppose I've outlasted most booksellers. Okay. <laughs> Maybe it's so it's longevity. Longevity, yeah. I've got the memory. The memory? I suppose booksellers need a memory of books. The fact that you know who might purchase what you have? No, I don't think it's a memory for that, for customers. It's a memory for titles, authors, a memory for just the memory of the trade, really. I mean, um, booksellers who've been in the trade for a long time have a head full of memories of bookshops. I'm not I sure I understand. Yeah, I mean, I think customers change all the time, but the books don't change. So you, you customers are a fickle lot. It's like that dreadful movie, You've Got Mail, where the Meg Ryan character had a little bookshop that was uh, put under by the big bookshop. So customers are a fickle lot. But if you know your books, that's the memory. The books that were bestsellers that aren't, especially in a second-hand bookshop, not so much in a new bookshop. It's the memory of the books that you need. So that you can answer the customer's questions and say, you may enjoy this because I have this? We do very little of that in this shop. It's, it's not this kind of, that kind of shop. I mean, no. this is a sh- in the second-hand section, people come and browse. And can, most times we don't have what they want because, I mean, it's impossible. And you have about 50,000... I have no idea. So, a second-hand bookshop, you, you know, one day you might have a fantastic stock and then two weeks later you have a terrible stock because everybody's bought the good stuff and you're left yes. with the basic lot of books. In, in the new book section, again, we're not... We, ha- we rarely have people come in to find a good read. I mean, it's... They're looking for very specific things, so you can't value judge. It's, it's much... It's, it's, this bookshop is different than a a popular bookshop where you are your ha- what they call hand selling I think. We do some of that in the fiction section and we, we guide people but uh, I mean the way that we've divided up our shelves I think it's I mean I have to admit I got this idea quite recently from a fantastic bookshop in New York called McNally's which I believe is a Canadian yes. 
Yeah, recently opened the, there, I think. The, the daughter of McNally's has opened up this marvelous bookshop in Prince Street, and I just thought it was fantastic. And I spent many hours there last year, and she has divided up her, her shelves fantastically, specifically the, the fiction section. How, how so fantastically? Well, she's divided it up. She's got English fiction, American fiction, then she's divided up with all the countries, so you can go straight to the German fiction, I mean, in English, translated. Yeah. And then she had, it was just before the election, so she had a wonderful window display and an in-store display of political novels, which I just thought was fantastic. So how have you adjusted your uh, your Well, shelf? we've divided up the fiction. We've got crime. Cape Town fiction, crime yeah. fiction, Afrikaans fiction, Johannesburg fiction. So that really does the, the helping for the customers. And in the non-fiction, we've divided it up to slavery, law. Whereas before, you just you didn't Before, sort of we just had non-fiction, we just had fiction. Isn't that what a huge part of selling is and, and librarianship is about, is access, mm. making your product as accessible as possible? Yeah. Well, I really think this has ch uh, changed the shop a lot. It's difficult to keep it up. It's extremely mm -hmm. uh, time-consuming. But you're doing the work for the cu for the customer to some yeah, extent. Yeah, to some extent, and we get yeah. a lot of tourists in here, and I think the Cape Town fiction in particular yeah. has really worked well. Well, the J.M. Quetzia worked really well for me, and in fact, you knew him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's a small town, Cape Town, and we, a lot of writers do come in here, which is very nice. Do you want to say anything more about him? Not really, no. <laughs> the reason behind why he left, the fact that he seems to be less of a curmudgeon now that he lives in Australia. I just wonder if you have any thoughts on the topic. Okay, we'll leave that. You came down to South Africa. Was there there's some love of the, some something in your bones that made well, you come here? Well, it was love here? of a man, sir. Oh, okay. Nothing to do with South Africa, I'm afraid, no. <laughs> Isn't that all, all, so often the case? Is love will... <laughs> I think so, especially with women, yeah. Yeah. May I ask you more about? Oh no, we broke up so, uh, soon after, after two years. <laughs> yeah, well, not quite soon after, but oh, yeah, a few years later. Okay. And uh, it was very nice, and I had a nice job in a bookshop, and it was a very interesting country, so I stayed. And as far as uh, establishing yourself here, how how did you go about doing that? Establishing myself? Or the well, the bookstore and your reputation as someone who's really. Maybe you could talk a bit about your reputation here and, and what you've well, done to encourage both the trade and and maybe we could talk briefly about the changes that have taken place over, say, the last decade. Well, I mean, Clark's was a fantastic uh, foundation on what to build. I mean, if Anthony Clark walked in here today, he wouldn't... It doesn't look much different. He painted the walls grey in 1956 because he knew he'd never have to paint them again and he thought that would absorb, absorb the, the dirt. So when I moved into the shop it was a second-hand shop and because I had new experience because I worked in a chain, exclusive books and then a department store before then I said well can I have a little section of new books and then I thought well the new books must be South African because there was a, a lack of focus on South African books. In most South, uh, South African chain shops you go into, you, there is a South African section, but it's predominantly an overseas uh, book. So then that one thing led to another. So focus on local? Yeah. New I mean, and local? This is all, downstairs is pretty much now all new 
Southern African books. And then, I don't know, it was just one of those wonderful organic things. I mean, then I went to Zimbabwe and I found books in Zimbabwe and I went mm. to, I drove to Lusaka in the 80s and found books in Zambia. And then the whole Mozambique thing started and then Namibia. So it, it, it wasn't a, a, a thought-out strategy, it just kind of happened, really. And, and because you're connected with the local scene, I suppose, authors came here. Was there, were there readings that you put on? Were there? No, because the shop is too small. We, I mean, at one point we were very keen on launches because they're nice things to have. But I think we've become lazy about that. Um, there's another wonderful bookshop yes. in Cape just, Town. I was just there last night. Yeah, called Book, Book Lounge. Lounge. It's really does, is much better equipped than, than we do for launches. It does really good things. Maybe I've settled into majestic old age, I don't know. But I mean, back to your question, it wasn't as if I started this bookshop from scratch. This bookshop had been going on for 30 years before I got here, and it has this fantastic reputation, mm. and it has a, a depth to it that, you know, one could never have started out a bookshop and, and produced this in a couple of years. This is... You were able to build on that, though, mm. and mm. Uh, expand its uh, yeah. areas of expertise. Yeah, uh, no, it, it expertise. was extremely lucky that, that, that it was this. And Anthony Clark, he was a great book lover, and he really knew, had extraordinary in-depth of knowledge of books, and that permeates the walls of this place. Uh, speaking of institutions, there's another bookstore that Cranfields, Oh, Cranford's. Yeah, that Cranford's. was a very eccentric bookshop. It was owned by a man whose name I can't remember. And then he sold it or something to another man who, I mean, very, very clever man, but sort of obsessive. And it was just very big and very eccentric and very mad. And he eventually, I think, went bankrupt. And it was a whole drama, but it lives on in the memory of Cape Town an extraordinarily mad bookshop. We're on Long Street, which is, you know, was certainly and, and is still the bookshop street, although mm. I was here four years ago and I recall there being more, more shops along the, the, the strip here. I might be wrong, but this is the street that's known. Although, I mean, Cape Town is an extraordinary book town because there are bookshops everywhere in Cape Town. I mean, there's the great quacker in Cork Bay. Yes. There's the big charity bookshop in Claremont. I mean, it's it's a highly literate city. But there's at least two universities, if not more. Well, there's University of Cape Town, there's University of Western Cape, there's University of Stellenbosch, but it's not only an academic readership, it's just a, people like reading. We don't do that much secondhand fiction, but uh, if I did, I would have a whole, a whole shop could be filled with fiction. Mm -hmm. Cape Town likes reading fiction. Just in closing, one of the things that you did was trade books, and I got these at a sale in Kleinmont a few days ago, and I'd just like to know how how things might have changed vis-a-vis -vis customers bringing books in, and if you continue to take them, or if you continue to give the same kind of trade that you used to, or how's that changed? Well, I mean, books have changed. So your first book is called Oriental Rugs, and I wouldn't buy it because, oh, look, it comes from Stutterford's bookshop where I worked. 
It's a favour and favour, which is good. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe I'll change my mind. I would buy it, but I wouldn't pay you anywhere near what you, you bought it for. So you're not going to make any money under that. You're going to lose money. I wouldn't buy the woman five centuries of master drawings. Why do you like Faber, by the way? Faber's a good publisher. And I love pre- Faber, but... You, know, you can pretty much figure that whatever they publish is good. I mean, this is a perfectly nice book. It's got a nice dried flower pressed in it. Yes. Which is nice. <laughs> but it... It's totally unsaleable. Why is that? Because people aren't interested. There are better books published recent, more recently that people would buy. This is... Well, who's the publisher of this? Uh, George Allen and Unwin. Also a good publisher. But anyway, I wouldn't want to buy that. And the decorated tile. Yeah, for 20 rand. No, actually, I didn't spend that. Uh, but but it's worth... Actually, that's my price in 20 rand. You think? It looks familiar. The two looks familiar. That's funny, though, because on the internet, that's worth... You see, the median is about 300, 300 to 400. What, Rand? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the internet is a purveyor of total misinformation about books. How many copies of the books are there on the internet? There may have been about 10. Yeah. Well, I certainly wouldn't charge 200 Rand for this book. It's a perfectly nice book but I wouldn't give you very much hope. I think, you know, the internet is the great tragedy of our lives in terms of books. It's one person puts it on to 200, and the next person thinks, oh, this is really good, and because it has a better dust wrapper, I'll put it on to 250, and so it goes. So all books become totally ridiculously priced. I mean, I do look up occasionally books when there's something I don't know, but on the whole, we're just a second-hand bookshop, and those are just second-hand books. I mean, there's no particularly particular uh, value on those at all mm. I'm sorry to say it's okay I I enjoyed just purchasing them and browsing mm. through them yeah well Claymont's a good see did you buy it in a bookshop no I bought them at a at a SPCA book sale for oh, well, then I gave them about a hundred grand for good uh, cause exactly SPCA. Yeah. yeah and that's the most important thing of the whole lot yeah right. Anything you want to say to... Uh, Canadian listeners? No, no, Canadian worldwide <laughs> listeners. We have a listenership all around the world. Oh, well, come to Cape Town and <laughs> come to my bookshop and spend lots and lots of money. <laughs> the rand is about... Nine to the no, US dollar. Nine to the US, so it's about seven to the Canadian. I don't know how that is, if it's lower or higher than it has been in the past, but uh, it's, I think books, uh, and I've, I've been to the bookstores you've mentioned and that huge place in Claremont. Mm. Books are a good deal here. Second-hand books sec- are, yeah. But they're also, unfortunately, foxed. Almost all of them have, I suppose because they're stored in places where the weather well, gets Well, I think that, that when people bought the most books was probably 50s, 60s, and it was that kind of funny paper. I mean, like this woman book, yeah. I mean, yes. It's, it's, it's a thick paper. It's, it's paper. laid paper, I think, yeah. yeah. And that attracts foxing like mad. I, I would imagine there's foxing. Well, this isn't late, but yeah. Actually, that's not so bad. But And then a lot of book-buying people live in Newlands. Newlands is a very damp place. Newlands is part of Cape Town? Yeah, and Newlands is a particularly damp place because it's that side of the mountain. And a lot of people store their books on shelves on outside walls. I mean, so it's a combination of all those things. Johannesburg, you wouldn't get so much from because it's a much drier place. Alexander McCall Smith was in the shop and he comes in when he's in town. He told a marvelous story about 
I think it was a bookshop in Toronto, but see, I don't know if it's Toronto, Montreal, one of the two. I can't mm. remember. Mm. He, said that, he said it was his favorite bookshop in the world, and he had a wonderful story about going there years ago and finding a book on sign language used by monks in the Middle Ages because they couldn't talk, but they had a series of sign language to like pass the sword or something. And it was just too much money, and he couldn't buy it. And he came back there years later. And he when thought, he was rich? When he had money. <laughs> and he thought just as a joke, he would, I mean his own joke, he would ask the, the book assistant, did he have, they have a book on sign language in monasteries? They said, yes, we do. And they went and they got it. And it was the same book <laughs> at the same price, which he then bought. 